Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. Jeff Wilson, Jim Kays joins me today, and it has been a busy week already since Wayne Smith's comments about his concerns with the game and his willingness to turn off and watch a animal documentary um, has been telling in terms of discussion around the game. Uh, everyone seems to have had something to say. Joe Moody certainly had something to say, and he wasn't happy about it. We've just seen uh, Japan have just uh, joined New Zealand rugby in an agreement in terms of not just the All Blacks, but the All Blacks 15, the Black Ferns, the Sevens teams. Everyone's going to Japan to play Japan. That's the team All Blacks have been busy. And Roger Tuovasa-Shek is now not good enough to be in the 23 for the Blues at Super Rugby level. Jim, I really don't know where to start, but let's go to the start of the week. Yep. And, and I use our little wee podcast group to just look at some wee grabs. And you feel Wayne Smith was maybe a little bit misunderstood about his interpretation of maybe the mall in the game. Yeah, look, I, I, um, I, I actually flicked him a text saying, mate, you've, you've pissed off the props. And, he, and he, he came back and said, yeah, look, people have sort of slightly misinterpreted what he was saying. And, and that can happen as as a story gets told and, and retold, basically what he was having a crack at is the way that the structure and laws of the game are set up that allow you to, um, you know, for there to be like a scrum penalty, kick for touch, line-out drive. Scrum penalty, kick for touch, line-out drive. Uh, and he's just saying that's, you know, that's not something that he's interested in watching. He's not per se attacking the mall. Joe can relax there. Um, he's certainly saying that, Repeated penalty kick for the line for the corner mall is is not great, but you know he he accepts and and I think we all accept that there's a there's a legitimate place for a decent old rolling mall in the game of rugby, but I think all of us also want to see you and your old mates scoring tries out wide. Uh, you know the preference I think is always for fourteen people to put a winger across in the corner, um, or if the winger gets tackled, flick it inside to the loose forward. Y you know that. But in saying that, there is a beauty about a rolling mall and about a line-out drive. But I don't want to see. I tell you what, I don't want to see what we said in the woman, what we saw in the women's World Cup final last year, which was I think four tries, one of them by the Black Ferns, scored from line-out drives. Surely the game's more than that. I disagree entirely. There's nothing beautiful. Yeah, but about a rolling mall. No, no, there's nothing. There's nothing. But I'm not. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a, a part of the game, but. It is essentially legalised obstruction. It is yep. the one part of the game in rugby union where you legalise obstruction, where well, you're putting people in front of the ball. You're you're, you're, yeah, but you'd say that the scrum is exactly the same. Once the ball's been hooked, you're you're obstructed from getting the ball. Yeah, but, it, but it's it's not the weapon that a rolling mall is, which at least in a scrum, which is almost manageable in terms of the laws and understanding the moving parts and pieces and who's onside and who's bound and who's not bound and who's screening and who's doing what to who. I just, I, I think what Wayne Smith is, is looking at is going that, I mean, it's, it's more imp importantly about a spectator, but the people and fans wanting to watch the game. And that's, and that's what I think we're talking about is that, and I've always had this concern about essentially the scrum can generate points. And that's the issue. Is it whether it be a penalty so you can kick for goal for three or whether you can go to get five metres out and give you a serious advantage in field position and position and an ability 
to be unstoppable in a phase of play if you do it accurately. If, you do, if they do it well, you should be unstoppable. There is not a lot you can do. Now, teams have, Jim, have found a way to counter it and have got better at it at it New Zealand. But I think that it's an aspect of the game where I don't have a problem with the mall itself. If you get it from a 50-22, but if you get it from a scrum penalty, right, which mm. at the best of times is hard to explain, it's hard to easily see, and it can be a 50-50, a 60-40 call that that is presenting this opportunity. Whereas if it's a clear and obvious hands in a rut guy off his feet offside, then you're going, okay, maybe that's the situation. But for me to be able to go from a scrum penalty to a, then you got to, if you get an advantage, I take a scrum, get another penalty, I go to the corner. All of that in terms of the tempo of the game and for the fans, I don't believe is genuinely, genuinely entertaining for a broad enough fan base. It may be entertaining for the people who have had numbers one to five on their back in their rugby career and they get excited about it. And even if they do, I'm, I'm surprised, but they may appreciate it. That's where I think yeah. you know, um, Wayne but, Smith is coming from. I think there's a couple of important... Look, I don't disagree with you at all. You know that I think that the fan and entertainment should be central to, to rugby. But equally, rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, and it has to remain that way. And the difference between rugby and rugby league is lineouts and scrums. So if we water down the impact of those, then then we're watering down a key element of, of rugby. And throughout the history of, of rugby, there's been lots of different teams who have been able to capitalise on a very good scrum and a very good line-out drive. You know, I can think back to when our good mate JK was playing for Auckland. He still scored plenty of tries for Auckland, but Zinzan Brook also scored plenty of tries for pushover tries. So I just think we need to be careful about mitigating against one and 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 losing that element of the game. They, you know, we need to have a game that does allow the big beefy blokes up front to do something, to flex their muscles, to roll their sleeves up, and for you fancy boys out wide to also hot step it over the try line. The game has to be able to do both. Yeah, and, and and there are elements of the game that still, I think, cater for those all shapes and sizes. But when you're talking about the elite level now, and let's be really clear about this, the shapes and sizes have significantly changed. And yes, the team... And the, the athleticism of yep. the players has improved remarkably. And hence, you'd have to argue that the numbers one and two ranked sides in the world right now are, are Ireland and France. And yep. their one through five have probably been and become the most athletic combination of players. And you've also seen, in some ways, you would have seen South Africa as well, particularly their props. Um, and and generally their locks have been pretty athletic, but their their props themselves, all of a sudden their ability to get around the park, I think has has changed their ability to do different things during the course of a game. So you know, I, so so for me, I, I look at it and go, yes, you there's a game for everyone, but by the same token, there's elements of the game you lose if that becomes a focus. Oh. the run, catch, and pass side of it. And and there's plenty of opportunities to pick and go. There's plenty of opportunities to run off nine. There's plenty of opportunities for you to, you know, create, you know, your own mall in, in general play if you have the necessary skill to do so. So yeah. I, 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 get, I get that, you know. The but of the of the scrum penalty, kick for the corner, line-out drive, another penalty yeah. kick, you know. Yeah. It's a repetition of that. And, I mean, you know, I can think back to – but other, te other teams have been – 
we've had other phases of rugby that have been that have had repetition in it. You know, when the Crusaders were very good in the early twos, uh, they were a pick and go, get a penalty, kick it, kick, kick for the corner, pick and go, kick for the sticks. You know, so there has been elements of that. You know, two thousand and nine when they brought in the ELVs, and and you had kick line out, kick line out. Kick, you know, so. I and I understand Wayne's frustration around that, and we want to see an entertaining game. I just think that we also need to be careful that the game is representative of the skills and body shapes and talents of of everyone there. And look, you you make a good point about the the type five of the other countries, and and I think last year we would have definitely said that that the All Blacks were slightly behind those other countries. But as you were saying that, I was I was just thinking, Jeff, well, who who's in the All Blacks type five? The three, three or four hookers, four hookers if you if you include Suffer or more, and you should do. Um, extremely talented, extremely good ball runners. Uh, we've got some very good ball runners at, at prop. People like Ty- Tyrell Lomax, um, Moody's not not too bad, and not as good as perhaps as some of the others. And we've got very good locks with with the ball in hand as well. You know, think of some of the tries that Brady Retallick scored. Um, so. I don't think we're too far off the pace, the New Zealand, in that regard. Well, I mean, the, the um, All Black coach would differ there in terms of the fact that the uh, probably the position he's been tracking the most for Super Rugby is his speed of his props, yep. their ability to get around the park. And so, oh, don't get me wrong, your Ethan the Groots and your Tyrell Lomaxes, but they're of the next generation. They're of the younger fold. They've probably got the ability to get to the level that, that we've expected of them now in comparison to these other countries. Like I, all, all I know is I can understand what Smithy's frustration is. Oh, yeah. I think Smithy, Smithy's looking at the game, and look, he's had the benefit of just being part of a remarkable group of women who played a remarkable brand of rugby, who had the ability and the time and space to pretty much play with a continuity, which was fantastic to watch. Yep. Now, as you've just mentioned, though, England went, started off the Rugby World Cup final here in New Zealand last year, scored two magnificent tries, but then they got down to 14 men and they almost won a rugby world cup on the back of a lineout drive, you know, and, and, and ultimately that to me is the danger for their game is that if it goes down the same path and the athletes became bigger, stronger, faster, particularly more fitter. And that's the, um, and have a, that, that base where they can go and compete for longer. Then all of a sudden that time and space that was benefited by the black ferns may not be there. And, you'll find the Black Ferns will be going, might be time for us to start scrumming. Might be time for us to start using a line-out drive. Um, and I think that's what Wayne Smith and Graeme Henry and those coaches who created something special because it was remarkable to watch. Um, There's a danger and, that, that we may never see that again. And we, we want right. to see that again, right? And one one benefit of things like line-out drives, again, for, for you fancy boys out wide, is that it does, when done properly, draw in defenders. I think back to when the um, when the Blues played the Dura in Fiji, and neither team was able to get the opposition to commit more than one person to anything that resembled a breakdown. So you literally had fourteen people standing in a defensive line. Equally, we don't want that. So, so I've I've always said, you know, the scrum is the best time to attack because you've got sixteen people committed to a very small area of the of the paddock, and and equally, if you can. Put in a line-out drive, suck in the opposition forwards, and then go wide. It's it's got to be good. Um, yeah, absolutely. The ability for it to be used in an expansive way. Yeah, it can create a strike opportunity. You know. Yeah. But, but 
to that point as well, though, we've seen an unwillingness from a number of teams in Super Rugby where all they worry about is the advantage line off that set phase. And yeah. to then your point, the defence is found out immediately and you're that situation of, well, we've got 14 guys on our feet, where are you going to go? But then there's a lost art for me of going through the middle, which is the pick and go and transfers yeah. and contact in behind and the teams that have got that remarkable skill. And, and actually, funnily enough, guess who did that skill? That's what the Black Ferns did. They either went through the middle of you or they went around the edge of you. They did nothing through the middle of the park. What they did was is they had this wonderful skill set, and the moment the defence compressed, they went wide. It was actually, I spoke to Wayne Smith about this, it was as simple as that at half time. Oh, they've worked out we're going through the middle, so we're going to go wide. Yeah, so he yeah, had, yeah. And, he, and he said they only had the time to have, he had two game plans, two little adjustments, and it was basically we adapt when they adapt. Yeah. And he taught them the skills to execute the two game plans. Yeah. That was it. He had six or eight months for them to believe into it and then had the skills to do it. Remarkable coaching, really. So I think that's why we're sitting here and going, um, this is a master tactician who understands the game better than anyone. Jim, is anyone going to listen? Oh, no, probably not, because sensible things have been said for a very long time in rugby and no one's listened to them. Um, so, no. But you did write about those tactics, as you think, as I think back on. I mean, very early in the, almost straight away in the second half, Stacey Flewler scored that amazing try um, where they went where they went wide. I'm also trying to rack my brains as to whether you were ever involved in a mall. I mean, what would you have done if you'd been sucked into a mall? Oh, it depends. I mean, I mean, quite often I was reluctant to go to ground because a lot of bad things happen on the ground. So you were involved in the mall because, yeah. Well, I'd, set them, I'd set them all early. I can see a wall of people in front of me. And I'll turn early and give it to someone else. And then I might get stuck in the middle with my hands up going, how do I get out? You know, that guy that's always fishing in the middle going, I can't seem to get out of this thing. Or or, or a situation where the opposition has done the wraparound and they've kept you in there. And Norm Maxwell was a classic for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Richard Lowe. Richard Lowe was a classic for it. He just he saw an opportunity to suck it back in, and he just and then he'd pin you. Lowy would almost it almost put you in a choker hold, sleeper hold, and if the more went too long, you'd be you'd be almost close to passing out. That's with one arm, with his big yeah. forearm, his big woman uh, um, farmer's forearms and hands. He just put the squeeze on you, and you'd turn red, and hopefully the referee blew the whistle before you you tapped <laughs> out. You're tapping out, you know. So it was certainly by accident that every so often you're in there. I wasn't adding any um, muscle or weight or uh, effect to it. Um, it was more about, like any situation around contact, pure survival. Pure survival. Yeah, uh, and that's, I suppose, is the thing, right? If if Wayne Smith feels strong enough to say something about it in a public forum, where well, yeah. he's a guy who generally is very positive about the game, very. Then, then clearly he has a concern. I mean, the the, the trouble we have now is that I, I I don't know if anything will get done about it. I don't no. know if New Zealand rugby will listen and go, okay. And this is where I mentioned on the breakdown on uh, last Sunday night, you know, I'll throw out there, look, I'd like someone to try and and play a, a competition or a game without the jackal in it and go, yeah. just see what effect it has on the game. You know, and I don't think we experiment enough. It's sort of almost like we need to get everyone to commit or we don't do anything rather than, you know what? Um, we're going to try for the first month, we're going to try something in a grade. Just pick a grade which mm. can play half-decent rugby, 
um, you know, I think that actually, funny enough, I think the ideal grade in some ways is, is a bit of the under 85 thing where skill set's pretty good, yep. good understanding of the game, yep. not not dictated to by size. Yep. Um, and you go, you know what, we want you to try this for us. And you can be our guinea pigs and just see how the flow of the game goes. Because, you know, I think there are subtleties you can put into the game which would speed it up, which might clear some things up. And then you get some feedback and go, well, actually, no, to the point because there was no jack or, or ability to turn the ball over, no one no one turned it over. No one, there was no counterattack from a turnover because there was no, you know, transition. And, and the, I just wonder whether or not we're just, once again, that slow-moving beast. Um, but in saying that, we've, you know, we've, we, it sounds as though a couple of the innovations, one in particular around the yellow card, red card, TMO process of super rugby's going to make it to the world rugby. So maybe they're starting to listen. It's been great, hasn't it? That one's been great. Oh, it's been massive. It's been really good. Should we talk about Roger Trigvasashek? I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, let's, do him, let's do him last, because I want to talk to you about... Um, so, Mark Robinson, um, yep. we've, we've done this... What, what, uh, what is it? Um, terms of uh, memorandum of agreement or... Understanding. Understanding. Gosh, I don't really know what these things mean. Um, but but it, it, appears, it appears as though that um, there's a determination now that New Zealand rugby and teams in black have got a strong, uh, this this understanding with uh, the Japan Rugby Union that we are going to be playing them for the next, after probably more next year, starting next year for the next four years, three years, four years after that, right? So, and this includes the Black Ferns, the All Blacks, Sevens being part yep. of tournaments they're having over there. What do you read into this agreement? My initial thought was, are they trying to slow down the, the, the migration of players to Japan? Uh, but it doesn't really seem to be that way. Um, look, I just think I think they've looked at it, and, and the biggest economic powerhouse on our doorstep is Japan. You know, you've been there, I've been there. Uh, there's a lot of there, there are a lot of businesses that New Zealand rugby can tap into, um, and I think from that perspective, it's a really smart move. If they can, you know, it is a professional game. They're all about trying to secure more money, fresh money, new money, whatever phrase you want to use. And if they're able to attract fresh money into the game through this in Japan, then then I, I think that's really good. It's an easy time zone from a broadcasting perspective. It's an easy flight. It's only one flight. Um, and and it's a country that adores rugby and adores the All Blacks. So I think it's a really smart move. Really, really I, smart. I think so too. Uh, and, and I agree with everything you've said there. I think hopefully it opens up some other doors. They've mentioned the fact that the possibility of of uh, preseason fixtures between Super Rugby teams and their um, uh, yeah. t- uh, top tier sides, um, yep. which is great. So clearly, at the moment, you get the sense that there's no desire for them to come back into Super Rugby. Now, and and they've just themselves, I think, launched last year. I think was it uh, Japan One was their. Um, the, the start of their new competition, their new structure that let a few teams drop down to another level and another, and so they've got these different tiers now. I sort of start seeing, seeing that and going, okay, um, are we are we going to be able to tap into that economy? Is it more about the international level and developing of players? Um, I think it's a great idea that we play them every year. Um, I'd like to think there's a, a bigger plan in place with Sanzar yeah. um, and, and Fiji at this stage. Um, you know, in terms of creating our own top tier of nations 
uh, to to get, I think, more regular and differential competition uh, that's, that's meaningful. Because there's nothing, Jeff, that says that the rugby championship has to follow the same path as Super Rugby. We can have surely different nations involved in the rugby championship that aren't playing in Super Rugby. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, so I'd like to see, and I think you suggested it to me in a, in a message earlier. Uh, you know, if we could have a, a Southern Six Nations, which would be, you know, New Zealand, Argentina, South Africa, Australia, Japan clearly, and it's then it's whoever whoever. It's well, yeah, but whoever qualifies maybe top of the of the Pacific Cup each year, and at the moment that's probably Fiji. So let's put Fiji in there. And look, I think it's it's a it's a hard it's a harsh one for Samoa and Tonga, but at the moment Fiji's more advanced in terms of infrastructure, television, stadia, that sort of thing. I think it's actually an easy one. You yeah. start you start you start with Fiji because they are the ones that probably are the highest ranked side, and yeah. you go look. You'll, you'll play your Pan Pacific, uh, USA, Canada, um, Chile, uh, uh, Uruguay, um, yep. and then you throw in Tonga and Samoa. Uh, you, then you've got a second tier anyway, right? You've got That's the next tier. And then do a playoff if you need to. Yeah. You know, do, so, a, do a promotion relegation go, you know what, this is your playoff to get into the Six Nations. I think it's just an idea and concept. But I think the Japan side of it, in terms of economy, is clearly important. The one thing they do have is a, is a fan base, right? Oh. The, the popularity of the game. Um, let's think how bad the Sunwolves were. Yeah, they were terrible. They still had big crowds. They still had great crowds. Yeah, and and the the World Cup uh, was wonderfully attended by Japanese. Yes, there were people from all over the world there as well, but you need to have a strong fan base to turn out as well. And the Japanese turned out in big numbers for the World Cup. So, yeah, they've got a fan base, they've got an economic base, they've got a great stadia. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a win-win. I think it's a really sensible thing. And, so, and part of that discussion I'm going to throw at you now is, right, and I've said this to a number of people, is that what the one thing that Super Rugby did do for the Pumas, the Argentinian rugby, was the Jaguares all of a sudden you almost united that group. And this is the one thing which is, you know, I, I don't know how they build on that because... I ultimately believe it led to them being more competitive in the rugby championship. And one, they beat the All Blacks, not just once. They then came to New Zealand and beat the All Blacks for a second time in Christchurch. Mm. And I'm not sure, that's the one concern I have right now about their rugby is that they've gone back to being around the world. Yeah. Um, and we saw some gains. There was clearly some stress and they've gone through some coaches and Michael Checker's in charge now. Um, they've got a, a nice, solid squad. I'm just going to get the sense, though, that, that at the moment we might get the same result out of the Fiji team. I'm just wondering whether or not with, with them and the Fiji and Drua in Super Rugby, we might see that lift. And whether or not it's going to be this Rugby World Cup or the next, I think there's going to be a gain there. Do you see the same sort of gain or am I just sort of dreaming? No, no. And, and look at look at what they've done. They've had uh, good wins away, you know. Oh, sorry, at home. They've At home. They've had wins against the uh, the Crusaders, the Hurricanes, and help me out. Was it the Rebels? Rebels? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you know they're building confidence as well. They've, we know they've got great athletes, um, and and you know the work on is always going to be their their type their their set piece play, and, and that's where the Blues beat them in the end through set in piece. End, play, yeah. Uh, in the end, and and it took them a while to to get there, but yeah, you're right. The only thing I'd say about the Haguaris and the and the Pumas is that by the end of the year they were running on fumes 
because you'd basically had the same bunch of people playing for yeah. the two teams. Um, whereas, you know, obviously in New Zealand, we've got five teams that contribute to, to the All Blacks. So it will be interesting. It'll be a fascinating World Cup from that regard. I've got to ask you this question then. So uh, when we lost South Africa and when we uh, the Sunwolves went and we lost the Jaguares, what did Super Rugby lose? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> they lost air miles. Um, <laughs> air points, yeah. Yeah, we did. We lost air points. For the players... Look, the, the 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 quick and perhaps superficial answer is to say that we lost big bodies, uh, that the that the New Zealand players and ultimately the All Blacks are no longer, you know, clashing, smashing into having to overcome big bodies. We've talked about lineout drives and scrums, so coping with good lineout drives, big big scrums, those sorts of things. So that's a that's I guess that's a sort of knee jerk answer to to what you're saying, or to what you're asking. In terms of South Africa, though, I think it's fair to say they were a waning force in Super Rugby. They were able to put forward one, maybe two decent teams a year, a bit like Australia at the moment, um, but they were not really challenging at the pointy end of the season, and, 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 and sometimes that was because of the travel. Um, so from a competition perspective, from a competitiveness perspective, I don't, I don't know if we lost a great deal in, in that regard, probably more in that micro sense that if you're the All Blacks coach, you're looking at it and saying, not having our guys come up against those big boppers is a is a problem. But I think if you look at it from an entertainment perspective, I mean, did, you know, I know the answer to this. Did you ever wake up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the Sharks play the Stormers? Well, no, of course not. You no, know, we did a great job of putting together replays and condensing those, those down. And, 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 but, I, but even now, though, I'm still not in a situation where we've got six games every weekend. I'm probably going to watch three full games and the other three you're watching condensed. Because, you know, and, 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 and here's the thing, and I totally agree with you. Too much of the quality had been taken out of the South African system. Yeah. Too much of it had gone overseas. The one thing they always brought, though, was a physicality and a mentality which is significantly different to yeah. a, um, a, a, a even a Fiji, Moana Pacifica, or Australian, um, or the Hawaiians. It was it was different, you know. Yeah. And so um, th- that's something that we have we have lost. But that's that's a a traditional rival that that we were so connected to is that the danger we're having at the moment is we're becoming unfamiliar mm. with with them and mm. their players and who they are. And, yep. and and that's one of the things I I've, I sort of struggle with is that I, I struggle with that side of there's such a talented group there there's such a group of people that and I know what they added and they they provided that different challenge even from a mental standpoint mm. even from a going and playing at altitude for example travel yep. altitude different atmosphere different pressure you know um big big crowds you know regardless of how good their team was in a lot of cases. You know, playing in Durban. So all of those things I looked at, Jim, and I go, you know what? I don't know. Are we ever going to be in a position without them to replace it? With players, for example. So if we found a way, we found an economy, do you think players would want to come, in this, uh, come and play in Super Rugby? Well, we've had a few, haven't we? The Papa Matero has done it. Has done it. Um, yeah, we've had a few. The odd one. I think we've had James Haskell come down. Uh, we've had Pierre France, Pierre France, France, France. Uh, there's been there's been a few. 
Um, you go back to the French prop, whose name escapes me, played for the Blues. Yeah. Um, John Ryan's here. He's playing for, you know, he's come at the end of his career. He's playing for the Chiefs. Look, I think if you take the money out of it, if you if you were a player and you had an opportunity to play rugby in one of the greatest rugby countries in the world, surely you'd have a crack at that. Uh, the only thing that would be holding you back is, is the pay cut that you'd have to take. Um, but I think for some guys that they'd be saying, hey, you know, uh, I, I want that experience. I want to see what it's like to, to play down there. Um, it's Yeah, it, it, it's – I mean, I've often argued that super – that if we open the doors of super rugby and said it doesn't matter which super team you play for, you can be picked for the All Blacks because you're still picking apples versus apples – then that would be a good thing, you know. And I remember writing at the time, and this is many, this is decades ago, when I was at the Dominion Post saying, how good would it be to see a Hurricanes team with Jerry Collins and Skulk Berger in it? Um, you know, it would have been wonderful. So I, I'm not opposed to that. I quite like the idea of, of loosening it up so that people can move around and we can pick players from any super rugby team into the All Blacks. I think that would be, that would add to the entertainment value, you know. If all of a sudden you've got, you know, I don't know. I, I just say Geordie Barrett. I do I do my normal. You move Geordie Barrett to the Rebels. You know, you move a pivotal player who plays multiple positions, who's got a skill set that could in some ways change and uh, the outcome for that team, right? Yeah. But you, but, you, but you have full faith in the fact that you're not concerned about when he comes back to the All Blacks. No. He's, he's you know, like you, his development's almost been done into a yes. point. The, the the core things have been done. You know, the, the issue I have is that all of a sudden, um, is the coaching strong enough? Is the culture strong enough? Are they learning the things they need to learn? I don't know that. I've never played for an Australian team, no. you know. And and do they have the, do they come back with the right mentality? If you find a 22-year-old who gets an opportunity, won't, doesn't get to start here in New Zealand, and the Rebels go, well, we could do with him. Um, the Force go, well, we could do with him. And then does he go away and, and one, is he – is he judged the same way by the all black coaches? And he looks at, you know, and it's all those sorts of things. And then you're going, now, well, if you're playing for the 10th, 11th or 12th team in the competition, how, how easy is it to shine? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think time would sort a lot of those would answer a lot of those questions because over time, you, you know, just like perhaps they do in the NRL as an athlete, you'd be assessing a club on the basis of their coaches and the basis of all of those sorts of things that you're talking about. So, so you would, you would, if you were, let's say it's Geordie Barrett, you'd be looking at it and saying, well, do I go to, do I go to the force? Living in Perth would be a wonderful experience. It'd be really different. I might have wife and kids by then, and and, and all of that. Yeah, but they don't have a great coaching roster, so maybe I, maybe I won't. So I think over time, all of those things would, would be answered. But he's paying, and they're paying him a quarter of a million dollars more. Yeah, but at the moment, we're potentially losing those people somewhere where they're not available for the All Blacks because of the money. So if, if it's a financial thing, you're saying, well, I'm going to go play in Japan and I'm not available for the All Blacks. Whereas you could say, hey, I'll let old, um, what's his name? Um, Twiggy Twiggy Forrester pay me yeah. millions of dollars to play for the Western Force and I'm still available for the All Blacks. Well, let's be honest. I mean, they've already done this because they've just signed Nick White. So they've signed Nick White out of the Brumbies. So this, yeah. is, you know, this is a guy who ultimately is going to be competing for the starting job for the Wallabies, and he's going to arguably the worst team in Australia. Yeah. Like that, 
that's where he's decided he he wants to go, and that's clearly I I'm surprised at that, but that to me tells me that this has been this is a I want to play for Australia, but also I want to get well and truly compensated. They've decided they need to make a shift in what they've done, um, and they've they've done this in the past though, haven't they? I mean, they've yeah. had James, James was James O'Connor over there? Was he over there briefly? Yeah, and Nathan Sharp was there. Sharp. And, um... but Sharpie became a big part of that organization yeah. though like he committed uh, for quite a, a, a long time who was the perennially cheating hooker um more Stephen Moore didn't he go to the to the forces the force? he's played for pretty much everyone yeah, I mean the, the cheeky side of me will suggest that there's always players that get picked out of the worst team in the country I mean you know <laughs> it's got to be a few Highlanders in the All Blacks mate see I was waiting for that I was waiting for that well there's going to be some one guy oh I don't think is going to be an option for the All Blacks this year yeah, and that's going to be Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Yeah, because I if you can't crack into your Blues twenty-three, not just the starting fifteen, if you no. can't get into the twenty-three, and Bryce Heem is a preferred option off the bench, and Harry Plummer is a preferred option to start in that position, where does that leave you? And is he picking up the phone and going to talking to his agent, going, "Well, get me out, go get a way out, do it, get me out of here." And, and the Warriors have just had a what a three-match skid. Yeah, walk um, back into the Warriors, and and in some ways, look, it's a professional environment, isn't it? So some you know companies, well, either companies do let people go, or they put them on gardening leave and say, no, you can't go there. We're going to keep you out. But there's no, it's not like the Blues and the Warriors are competing. We're certainly not competing on in the same playing field to use it that 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 metaphor. And I, I think the decent thing would be to say, hey, mate, if you want to go, you can go now with our blessing. If you're, uh, I've got two mates who are not big Harry Plummer fans, and they've both reacted with absolute shock that Roger Tuivasa-Shek is not being picked ahead of Harry Plummer. I don't want to run Harry Plummer down because I think he's a fine player, but if Roger Tuivasa-Shek can't get in ahead of Bryce Heem and and Harry Plummer, then he needs to be picking up the phone and saying, "I want to go back to the Warriors today." Hold on, but let's 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 just dig a bit deeper onto that one. Um, look. Why Why would the Blues have selected Harry Plummer? Because he's also a goal kicker. He's a great organiser. Uh, I'm, 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 not not, I'm not in the Harry Plummer fan club, or, you know, but I, I think he's a very good player. I think he does a very good job for the Blues. He, he's a bit of that Tim Bateman sort of person who's, who's in there, uh, who would be some of the others. That, you know, we've all seen those sorts of guys in there. He's a good organiser. He's a good um, – he's, he's actually a very good defender. Uh, and and he kicks his goals. He's a good. He, he's a he's a good footballer. He's a, he's a he's almost a, a little bit more of an a throwback second five, right? Yep. He's 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 you know we we're, we got into this mindset of a line breaking, and when you when you had someone like Ma Nonu setting that standard, right, Nani Laumapi, and we had a power player in that position, and then that we had a, a, a Conrad Smith who. And who'd gone into that outside, who's gone into outside centre into 13, and you look at it and going, how do you, you get the balance right? I think it ultimately they ended up having two of the same types of player in yep. Roger Tuivasa-Shek. And then when, when they lost Stephen Perifeta, all of a sudden the game changed yeah. for them in terms of, to your point, they needed more decision-making. They needed um, a, a, a variety of skill sets. And the big issue they've got right now is and we saw it last weekend. I mean, I don't think Harry Plummer is a super rugby first five. 
There's too many no. touches. Too many. It's it's a too much game management. Zan Sullivan is still at a point where he's still inconsistent in his performances because he hasn't got to play. They don't. He hasn't played enough, and so they've gone. Well, we need some more leadership out on the field. The yeah. one thing Harry Palmer has got, he's got great IQ. Yep, he captains Auckland. Exactly. So I've got a question for you because I feel this is the case. Do you think? Roger Turibansashek has been poorly handled from a coaching and, more importantly, selection perspective. Oh, I said that on the breakdown two weeks ago when he was returning from injury and it was what chances has he got to make the All Blacks. I said none because no. there were too many guys lined up in front of him. Now, he would need injuries for it to happen. But even then, I think there's other guys who have played rugby for longer who are in better form that you would look at. And go. So for me, I would probably consider a Billy Proctor because he was playing really well. He was the centre. We've got second fives. We've got a couple of second fives in Barrett and, and Anton Leonard-Brown. Um, centre's an issue for us. Um, I, and I go... My question is, is, is he quick enough? Should he have been used uh, in, a, in, a, in a position with fewer touches, like wing or fullback? Like he, plays, he plays fullback for, for the Warriors. He's, a full, he's got all the skill sets. That he, said. He, had every, he had every skill set. Uh, to our knowledge, other than the kicking game, of a fullback, of a fullback, or mm -hmm. an outside back, you know, like we we we, we sort of knew that, right? How many times did Christian Cullen kick a ball in a game of rugby? A lot more than you think, but he yeah. quite often didn't. But a lot more than, uh, he, but he had the ability to, if needed, yeah. right? And so what we didn't do was we didn't find out. I don't know if we asked the right questions. I don't yeah. think if we. We challenged and said, you know what, can he kick a ball? Ah, it's NPC, no problem. Go back to fullback, work on your kicking game, play every yeah. game at fullback. I think we've missed a huge opportunity in New Zealand rugby. I think he's been poorly handled, played in the wrong positions, not given the chances to develop. And, and you know, as a result of that, he's going to go back to league and it'll be a wasted, wasted part of his career. Probably what's disappointing is that we we had an example of it and we didn't follow it, and it was Sonny Bill Williams. Mm. Now yeah. Sonny Bill had he had a skill set right through the middle of the park as an offloading player, which was outstanding. He still played on the wing a lot. Yeah, he still got subbed onto the game for an impact on the wing, and still got the ability to show those skills. And he wasn't quick. No, he was. He, he was. He <laughs> was. What's that? And he won two World Cups. I remember Dave Rennie saying that when he when when they were at the when Sonny Bill came to the uh, to the Chiefs after a couple of weeks, he pulled him aside and said, "Mate, all I want you to do is run straight. Don't even think about offloading." And then after a couple of weeks later, he said, "Right, now I want you to run straight and look for an offload." And he and he just built him into it because he he said the guy was trying to do six different things and didn't know which one to do. And and you've I'm sure it's you that said this. Oh, no, it's, it's actually, sorry, I don't mean to confuse you and Stephen Bates, but Stephen Bates was talking about Nani Lamapi, and he said, if you're really good at one thing, then what's the problem? And and Sonny Bill showed that too. If you're really good at running straight and offloading the ball and, and you can't be stopped doing that, what's the problem? It's pretty good, you know? Yeah, but that, but I actually saw, I saw more in Roger, oh, and particularly the fact there was, you yeah. actually took away a couple of his skill sets. And one of yeah. them was his ability in the air, because as a, as a rugby league fullback, he was really good at that. He could go up and he could challenge. And when the ball went up and we were coming up against teams, I had no doubt that he would be able to handle that side of it. 
Mm. And the ability to actually to launch attack because basically he spends half of his game receiving a kick and then launching a counterattack. He doesn't even have to pass it. He just no. has to have a go. So that instinct of them having a go is there. So you give him and understand the skill set required. I'm with you. I think we handled this poorly. But people got excited about what they thought he could be rather mm. than working with what he was. Yeah, exactly. And you go, oh, and we need this. Yeah. So we need this. So this is where we're going to put him. And that's what where it's, it was a crazy thing. And you, if you're going to go back and go, well, was the investment worth it? If you're New Zealand rugby and the Blues, was it worth it? I think, I think in terms of bringing someone back to rugby and giving them the opportunity to play and the exposure and excitement around it, particularly early on, mm. absolutely. Yeah, a bit of publicity. The, you know, I think we've probably for the publicity, but I think for the last 12 months, Jim, we probably haven't seen any benefit of that because he really hasn't had the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I'm very, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for him. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you, I think we could all see something really special there, but we're not sure. I mean, would would you do it again? See, that's the, that's another question. Has it put other players off trying to do the same? Because there are other other guys over in the NRL who are former rugby players or or. Uh, showing an interest in playing rugby. I wonder if it's just put those sorts of guys off and, and you know, the game, yeah. There haven't been many successful, truly successful league to rugby converts. I mean, Brad Thorne's an ob- the, the obvious one uh, and Sonny Bill Williams as well, but not too many. Not no. too many. No. Lastly, how much stock do you put in Super Rugby form, Jim? <laughs> uh, back end of the season, I put a little bit more stock into it. You know the playoffs and those sorts of things. Um, well, not not yet. Um, look, this is a building block. If uh, if I was a player, I'd be saying this is how I get the selector selectors' attention, and then I confirm myself in the book in the in the last three or four weeks. So the exception to that was Peter Gasoakula, who seemed to die away as the Chiefs carried on last year and. You know, selectors have always said to me in, in all the years I've been covering rugby that you've got to look at how players play in the playoffs, and he faded. Um, so I'd be looking more for how people play, you know, in those playoff matches. But this, These games get you excited. They get you looking at a person, so you want to see you want to see Sean Stevenson play every week, um, and you get excited about the way that he's playing for, for the Chiefs, and the same with uh, Narawa on, on the wing. So you get excited about that. But let's see how they go under the blowtorch of the playoff matches, you know, because we know the Crusaders will be a different team mentally in the playoff matches. So so all of those sorts of things, that's when it truly matters. And, and that's when the selectors traditionally have said, right, that guy's in or that guy's out. Given what you know then and what you've seen, and with four rounds to go, in terms of the round robin stages, then we go into the quarterfinals, semis, and final. Who do you see winning this competition? <laughs> That's a great question. You're a bugger. You are. Um, it's the right look, time. Again, the easy answer is the Chiefs. I mean, they've won ten in a row. Uh, only one team has gone through unbeaten, and that was the Crusaders back in 2002, I think. I think when sixteen of them or something like that got named in the uh, in the in the All Blacks. 
I'd like to say the Blues, but I don't think so. I think it'll be a Crusaders uh, Chiefs final, and oh, I don't know who to, who, who to pick out of those two. Have you got someone texting you going to quick, quick, I've got to change the subject, change the channel? Sorry, it is. It's on my computer. It's my daughter who's living away from home now and texts us about a range of things. I, I do. <laughs> I, I thought that was just convenient. You got a question you didn't like and said, righto, just under here, just start start texting me because I've got to get out of here. i got to get out. So you're not, you're not, you're sitting on the, so you're leaving the blues out of the conversation right now. Oh, don't tell JK I said that. Um, the blues have certainly got the firepower to make it all the way. Certainly got the firepower. I think what happens in the Blues Crusaders game will be huge in terms of the confidence that they take into the into the rest of the season, uh, and certainly the confidence that I take into the rest of the season for them as well. There's no reason why the Blues can't win. They should they should be able to win this competition. They've got a good scrum, good forwards, good backs, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it's that consistency within a game, consistency from game to game. And I think the great thing that we've seen from the Chiefs this year is the ability to not panic in a game when they've been behind and, and, and to come back and grind out those wins. They certainly saw that in that win against the Crusaders. And you've seen consistency. Ten in a row really says it, doesn't it? Um, I would just, I would be nervous about riding off a Crusaders team, though. I hate to say that. Really, if it's not the Blues, Jeff, I hate to say They've won six, six titles in a row. No, they've had too many. Too many. Well, it's, well, it, well it, that's their legacy. That's their dynasty. It's all there. I mean, that's the thing. That's why you can't write them off. And, and, and you can't. And, and, and neither uh, think, I think we should write them off. But we should s- certainly look at the body of work we've got going on from the Chiefs. And then you start looking at, you know, like you say, the capabilities of the Blues. Um, but this is a different pressure that this Crusaders team is under. For whatever reason, and this is how yeah. things have played out this year, and they've got to find something that they haven't had to search for too often. And look, this is this is the this is the but the thing with them though is that once they start to win, and it starts to get a little bit niggly in Christchurch, and yeah. it starts to get a little bit colder, yeah. And they go to where they're going, and, and and they just sit there and go, if we end up second, if we end up just work our way to second, because essentially, you know, the Brumbies are the one team at the moment that could. But in saying that, I think they could. Someone could go and knock the Brumbies over in Canberra. Yeah. I don't see that being a problem. But I think if you're the Blues, you, uh, you've got, you're to the Crusaders. got to win this. Got to win this. Crusaders have got all those ridiculous stats in their favour. Oh, what they've never lost a playoff game in Christchurch. Oh. They've never lost a final. They've never lost this. They've never lost that. Oh lordy, you know, six titles. Rosie, you've had too many, mate. Too many. You've got the All Blacks job. Be happy with that. Let someone else win it. Please, God. Job let done. It'll be the Blues um, versus the Chiefs. Mate, always a pleasure, Jim. Look, uh, we knocked out 47 minutes of chat. Pretty easy because I, I get the sense. Uh, this is the other thing, though. On the back of all of this, uh, this is what I've noticed. Just, I just, I want uh, maybe 30, 45 seconds from you. I've got a sense there's a, there's a, a building optimism around the All Blacks' chances in this year's Rugby World Cup. And I'll just give you my explanation that people I talk to right now who Probably last year, there was so much going on, so much frustration, disappointment, uncertainty, you know, people pulling in different directions. And then with the coaching issue to start the season, the announcement, well, what, a month past that now? Mm-hmm. And then people are starting to see some new players putting up their hand at Super Rugby. And then you ask them and they're going, well, actually, we're coming in 
as an underdog, we actually, we've gone from our expectations have probably got a little bit lower. And then we're seeing the emergence of some talent. I get the sense that people are starting to go, well, you know what? We're not under the spotlight that we've always been under. We're not under the pressure that we're always under. And that might, might serve us well for yeah. this Rugby World Cup. Is that, is that a sense you're getting? Yeah, I um I read a story today. I think it was uh, Stephen Donald saying that the All Blacks, you know, that's going to be one heck of a team that they get to name. I did a, a speaking gig with Ian Jones, one of your old teammates from the All Blacks, a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about his optimism around this team as well. I think Jason Ryan joining that All Blacks coaching setup is huge. They've had the athlete, but they weren't playing as a pack in the way that they wanted to. And we started by talking about line-out drives and defending line-out drives, and certainly he's brought a bit of steel into, in, into that. Yeah. Uh, and, and if the All Blacks can achieve some measure of parity up front, get get some quality ball, then New Zealand's always had All Black backlines that can do damage. And and if you know if we sat down and we could write down a couple of different All Black combinations of backline, and they're all going to be pretty handy. So... I yeah I, I I'm increasingly optimistic about this uh, World Cup, but I just keep coming back to this, and it's important for everybody to remind themselves of this. Two of the four best teams in the world will go home after the quarterfinals. That's just the way this draw is. So you know we've said it before. You've got France, New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, and potentially uh, Scotland in there as well. It's actually five. Uh, but the, the four best teams, two of them are going to go home. There's no, there's no way around that. Will it be the All Blacks? More and more, I think no. More and more, I think they'll go through to the semi-finals. And I think that all plays in our favour, because mm. a quarter-final is not delivering anything if you're Ireland or France. So no. it doesn't deliver the expectation. Their expectation is they're going to win a Rugby World Cup. Yep. And so not only will they feel the pressure in the first game, in the first round, in Ireland versus Scotland, they'll be feeling that pressure. Yep. But when it comes down to it, they're feeling pressure on a quarterfinal time. Now, well, clearly there's pressure because it's a knockout game, but there's a different expectation on them. Yep. I, I'm, I, I myself am very much in the same vein. of If we select the players I'd like us to select, I'll be excited. Oh, and that's the key. Picking and and that is another discussion which will be in about, I'm picking in about six weeks' time, I think after the semifinals of Super Rugby, we will find out exactly who this all-black selection team really will, they'll, they'll, they'll name essentially their World Cup squad straight away um, in yep. the Rugby Championship. There might be one or two guys, maybe a couple of injuries that are forcing them to look at other players, but I'll tell you what, um, we'll get a real good indication pretty quickly um, after those semifinals. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks very much, mate. Great to chat. Talk Good soon. Stuff. All right, mate.